I'm Moya Lothian McLean, and this is Navara FM. Like many people, a lot of my so called disposable income goes on traveling around the world. But in an age of climate crisis, carbon guilt, and mass tourism, I find myself increasingly pondering why I feel so driven to take myself off to far flung places. And when I saw tourists flocking into disaster zones this summer, like the burned out landscapes of Hawaii and Rhodes, I knew there had to be something more animating the desire to travel than simply relaxation. You need to read this book, a friend said, pressing a copy of The Taurus by Dean McCannell into my digital hands. Originally published in 1976, The Tourist is a sociological analysis of leisure travellers in the first half of the 20th century. The book has become a bible for sociologists and people in the tourism industry alike. I took the book with me on a little meta quest as I travelled around this summer, and I thought of all the questions I wanted to ask Dean about his thesis and how it maps onto the tourist landscape of today, dominated as it is by corporations and the rise of Instagrammable hotspots. Luckily, I work for a media organisation that has a podcast dedicated to exploring big ideas that wield power in our lives. So, we called Dean up from his retirement in Northern California to discuss the tourist, modern travel, and searching for self in a fragmented world. My name is Dean McCannell. I started out as a student of sociology and anthropology. Early on, even before I completed my PhD, I decided that I wanted to study tourism. Uh, I was reading the classics uh, in the social sciences, and I found that almost all of them were based upon the results of the Industrial Revolution uh, and the growth of capitalism. Uh, I looked around and said, what's going on today that might be the equivalent of, of that? And my answer to that question was uh, tourism. I wrote a book, uh, The Tourist, A New Theory of the Leisure Class, which was published in 1976. Basically, it just keeps pursuing me. Uh, it still is obviously today. So <laughs> you're, you're the most, re the most recent uh, uh, tourist pursuer anyway. I want to go back to something you said when you were describing tourism in the 1970s, where the figure of the tourist was separate to that of the tourism industry. You say that tourism didn't even exist in the way we understand it today. I think it would probably be quite hard for contemporary listeners to even imagine that. Could you define the difference between the figure of a tourist and the tourism industry as you understand it? Yes. No, that's a really, that's a really pertinent question. Uh, the figure of the tourist and the tourism industry uh, certainly do not need to be overlapped or coterminous at all. Uh, the uh, the figure of the tourist in the book, The Tourist, was a very raw figure. Uh, it was, it was some, somebody who was going somewhere to, to see something, uh, and there was no industry implications whatsoever. At the time, there were some organized tourism activities that Thomas Cook tours, of course, were very famous uh, and, and venerable. They'd been around for 100 years by then. Uh, but uh, these were all small-scale activities, uh, typically involving not more than 25 or 30 people. Uh, and uh, they certainly were not, uh, you know, they didn't have a visible impact on any of the places that tourists were going to visit. Okay, you know, very occasionally a herd of tourists would waft through, uh, but it was not uh, the inundation that we experience today as, as produced by the tourism industry. To give you an example of the difference uh, that I decided one day we were living in Paris uh, in uh, 1968. And I decided one day that I'd go to the Louvre and, and, and observe people at the Mona Lisa to see how they behaved uh, in the presence of the Mona Lisa. And uh, I, I uh, sat there for uh, over two hours, and I believe only one or two people at the most came through the gallery. Uh, 
So I was actually unable to make the observations that I wanted to make uh, because there were just too few tourists. And in the most recent visit, uh, I couldn't see the painting. All I saw were hundreds of people with their iPhones extended uh, up above the heads of the others. Uh, and that was their glimpse of the of the Mona Lisa. Uh, so, uh, yes, the the differences are incredibly vast. What was your original thesis, which explained the ascendancy of the tourist in the twentieth century? My thesis was that the uh, as the world gets smaller and uh, uh, as the peoples of the world begin to uh, you know, begin to actually rub rub shoulders and elbows with each other, literally. Uh, the global religions, uh, which regionally were responsible for the solidarity of of, of masses of people, uh, are no longer up to the task of providing a framework, uh, a, a moral and ethical framework, and a symbolic framework. Uh, for people to interact through the way uh, the global religions could at at one point in time, uh, and so my thesis was that the uh, the the global system of attractions uh, are you know sort of sim- symbolic points of departure uh, that uh, that that people uh, could amass around almost like going to church. Uh, and appreciate in common and share in common uh, and that they would provide a, a, a basis uh, for a, sort of a, a, a new globalizing humanity. Uh, you know, that's a very hopeful vision. Uh, and it's, uh, it's in the process of being taken apart uh, as rapidly as it puts itself together by the tourism industry. Uh, which of course can't have any of that. It has to, uh, it has to reproduce the system of attractions on an entirely other basis. What is that basis that the tourism industry is reproducing? Well, it, it, obviously, it's to uh, produce enormous uh, heaps of money uh, that are controlled by very few people, uh, and uh, that—that's the. Uh, uh, in order to do that, they have to shrink wrap the symbolic meaning uh, of the uh, of the tourist attractions. The motivation, the the motivational matrix remains the same, uh, but they have to shrink wrap it in their own uh, fantasy version uh, that, that that they can sell actually as as a, as a product, which is nothing like the basis. Uh, the original basis for the for you know sightseeing, and it's nothing like uh, the motivation which people can still have today. Uh, there, you, you uh, one of the analogies that I like to make is that it's the difference between industrial agriculture and organic agriculture. That uh, it's possible for there to be an organic, uh, sustainable. Uh, you know, healthy tourists uh, in the world today is, as there as it always has been. It's just if you you just can't get caught up in the industrial matrix uh, uh, if you want to maintain that position. So uh, I'm, what I'm doing is rep, is presenting a kind of a of a of a massive global conflict between an ethical. A version of of tourism and sightseeing, and and the and the and is captured by big capital. In that an original analysis of this, you know, ethical purpose of sightseeing, why people go out to tour, what connection did you make with pilgrimage? And, you know, some of the practices around pilgrimage, like the ritualistic aspect that persisted in modern forms of tourism. Uh, absolutely, it's uh, the. Uh, the, in religious pilgrimage, uh, the structure is almost identical to that of, of, of an ethical visit to whatever object you wish to you know, commune with. Uh, uh, it's just that uh, th- th- there is no 
there is no church of tourism uh, that uh, that prescribes the the ritual uh, framework around those experiences. Uh, there are there is a little uh, ritual framework around the sightseeing all sightseeing experiences, uh, but that they haven't been captured by uh, orthodoxy and uh, and the the and in, in the process of not having been captured by orthodoxy. They are being sort of sucked up into the capitalist fantasy, uh, so it's it's a uh, there, there's a significant tension there. In the in the book, you talk a lot about this idea of alienation. What did alienation mean when you wrote this book? How did tourism confront it, and what do you think alienation means now? Oh, that's a really hard question, Moya. Uh, what do I think alienation means now? Uh, it, it's uh, uh, be, it, when when I wrote the tourist, the uh, uh, the world was pretty much organized around symbolic exchanges. You know, conversation, meaning some of the tourist attractions have their symbolic meaning hanging right on them. The the Statue of Liberty the Grand Canyon, what have you. Now, every symbolic meaning is always subject to negotiation because there's the, the, the symbol isn't pinned down in any reality, actually. We pretend that it is in order to converse, but, but it, it really isn't. So uh, this, the symbolic world is undergoing constant revision and constant negotiation. Uh, and that's, you know, for human beings, that's kind of our basic task and pretty hard work. Uh, but uh, today, the, 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 the pressure from both uh, uh, big capital, the way big capital takes over the tourism industry, uh, and also from the uh, uh, information technologies, is to try to get rid of the symbolic to make it we they want us to be dealing in imagery uh and uh, uh and to to reduce the negotiation and the and the transformations that are feasible uh within the symbolic to to get rid of them to you know this is this image is is what you get uh and we're so we're we are on the threshold of an alternative way of being together, uh, which is potentially very risky, I believe, uh, and uh, and we, uh, I, I would certainly be an advocate for uh, trying to hold on to the symbolic as long as we can, and and or and an organic form of tourism would be one uh, one arena in which that that could be done. I'm interested in, in applying this this rise of the imagery to your analysis of what marks out sites as being of symbolic importance of being an attraction. So if we're surrounded by this imagery now and people going to a place and taking a picture, a site might already be marked out, but even by doing the imagery, is that an extra marker being put around it? Yeah, if all they're interested in doing is capturing an image of it, uh, I was there, uh, and, and this is, is this is what I saw. Uh, they there is uh, no um, in, in the original tourist compact. Uh, you know, let's erase the, the industrial version of it for a moment. Uh, the point was to go there, experience it for yourself, and to come away with your impression of it which may or may not be the same as someone else's impression of it. And then that can become uh, an, a component of a conversation in principle, not necessarily in, in reality, with, with anyone or everyone who's had a, the same experience, have been in the presence of the same object. You know, that's not the way I saw it. I saw this instead. In other words, the symbolic framing can uh, can continue to be elaborated through conversation. Uh, if it's just 
if all you get is just this flat image repeating itself over and over and over again, uh, that's not the same. I I go back to uh, the uh, to Stendhal memo- memoirs of a tourist, uh, one of the most important books that's been written on the subject, uh, uh, and uh, this is now we're in the early 19th century. Stendhal's you know asks himself and answers the question, well, why do you do this? Why do you go and and look at these things? And the answer that he gives, very simple and extremely profound, in order to have something new to say. And it, it, for me, that's the, that's, that's the nut of an ethical uh, sightseeing experience, in order to have something new to say, to bring something new into this world as a result of your uh, contact uh, with this with this object. In the book, you outline this process of site sacralization. Would you be able to briefly outline it for us, for our listeners now? You know, everything that people go to look at, for the most part, wasn't built, except for you know, when capital got a hold of it, they started building things in order to be tourist attractions. Mm-hmm. And when I wrote the tourist, um, those, uh, I, I discounted those those places like Disneyland. They're not, tourist attractions uh they're just they're kind of uh, uh we used to call them uh when somebody would set up a snake farm and a gas station on a highway in the american southwest uh they were called tourist traps or catch pennies and uh and i just uh when i wrote the tourist Disneyland at that time for me was just a, a gigantic catch penny or tourist trap. It wasn't an attraction uh, in the way that, for example, the White House might be an attraction uh, or the Niagara Falls or something of the sort. I, I have revised my opinion. I believe that Disneyland has become an attraction uh, within the original framework of the tourist. It's, it's, it's gathered around itself. Uh, all of the apparatus that it needs to be elevated to semi-sacred status uh, helped along a great deal by uh, when Nikita Khrushchev asked to come. First time he came to visit the United States, they asked him what he wanted to see, and he said Disneyland. He said he wanted to have lunch with Marilyn Monroe and and uh, and visit Disneyland. Uh, he actually did have lunch with Marilyn Monroe, but they didn't let him visit Disneyland because of the of the problems with security. I was just interested in the ways in which these uh, actually venerated uh, attractions uh, were presented, uh, so that w- we would get the the signal that this is an object of, of veneration of general, and so. I believe that uh, I said the first phase was naming. Uh, they get named as something important to see. And if I say the Eiffel Tower, the Great Wall of China, or I've said it, Niagara Falls, the Grand Canyon, whatever, everybody that hears that knows that these are tourist attractions and that they're, that they're supposed to see them or they're supposed to be able to come out, somehow commune with them. Uh, so naming and then uh, elevation, uh, they uh, they get uh, actually f- uh, some framing apparatus. Uh, they get put behind a silk cord, or they put get put on a plinth, or uh, something. They put get put in a frame uh, so that they are presented a- a- as something that's special and important. Uh, and then. Uh, I, I believe that the uh, uh, as the thing gets more and more sacred, more and more elevated, more and more important, uh, when other things get named after it, uh, that that was the, a, a, a nearly final phase of this raising of this object. Uh, so now you. C- you know, you have Mount Vernon, uh, Was- George Washington's home, and now you have the Mount Vernon Motel uh, to indicate that the original Mount Vernon was something somehow worth naming something after. 
and finally, uh, I said mechanical reproduction, which put me out onto the uh, a foundation that Walter Benjamin built very firmly, uh, that when they begin to make copies of the object and start passing them around, uh, then you know that you uh, you have this venerable uh, object. The reason I wanted you to outline psychosacralization is because I wanted to know, does it still apply to the new must-sees of you know, twenty, the 2020s? For example, something I see a lot is food venues are now almost elevated to the same status as sacralized sites. So you'll have a sandwich shop in Florence, which is the must-see ranked alongside, you know, the Gallery d'Academia. Yeah. Well, th this is the, the, what you're giving, uh, what, you're, what you're fingering now or, or pointing to now uh, is the way in which uh, uh, capital is uh, basically utilizing the original models uh, sadly, ones that I elucidated, uh, it's just sometimes they just come right out and say it. You know, we have a mechanical site sacralization here now. I heard a guy developing a resort saying, we have a mechanical work display, we have a mechanical... <laughs> and, uh, and, and what they're, uh, what they're doing uh, is exactly that. They're, they're taking the model from the original and they are, you know, packaging it and up and sort of putting it down over the top of one of their money-making devices. It's the same kind of dodge as the uh, uh, Hard Rock Cafe that has replicas of Elvis's guitar in every Hard Rock Cafe uh, in the world, in Bangkok and in San Francisco or wherever. Uh, so that, uh, you know, it, it gets an aura of the, of the, of the sacred object, but it, you know, it's, it's basically just using the form, uh, and dropping all pretense of having any of the substance. When the object at play, say, let's take a sandwich shop again, if it's not, um, part of the increasing creep of say big American corporates, but instead a family-run sandwich shop, but it has been site-sacralized by, say, TripAdvisor reviews or video sharing apps. What what's at play there? What forces are elevating that site-sacralization? Yeah, it's, it's it's an interesting that's an interesting question. The extent to which the internet and the information technologies uh, can actually function the same way as word of mouth and and earlier travel writing did uh, in the past. I'd have to come back to the actual experience of going there and eating at that restaurant or what have you. Uh, you know, would you do it? Would I do it? Would we do it because we think it's a sacred place? Or would we step back a step and say, this is just an internet phenomenon that's, that's pretentiously representing itself as one of those uh, famous places of the past. You know, what is what are these influencers? They're not actually sacralizing the site. They're using the site to sacralize themselves. And uh, so they're trying to reverse the uh, uh, the the, uh, the vector of of the sacred uh, and and exploit it as much as possible. The sandwich shop I was thinking of is one that I see every time I go to Florence, and I've never been in because of precisely <laughs> the reasons yeah, yeah, that the, you've outlined. Okay, okay. Well, there's always a queue out the door. Yeah, I will. I, I will. I will use you as my my modal organic <laughs> tourist. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so something else I wanted to talk a little bit about is. How did we move towards, or whether you agree with this, do you think we've moved towards an economy of the experiential, of experiences, rather than this economy of sort of physical objects, of souvenirs, etc.? You talk about collecting in your book, collecting souvenirs, yeah. but now it's this idea of you've got to collect experiences instead, which are captured through imagery. Well, the 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 this idea of collecting experiences... I, I'm actually going to question that, you know, when I hear about that, and then I hear that, 
there are, you know, we, we have tours of the United States that are organized by uh, Chinese tour companies uh, that are organized in, around only getting selfies uh, in front of famous monuments. Uh, and that, that, that's all that, that happens. They, they don't even stop sometimes. Uh, if, the, if the selfie, if an adequate selfie can be gotten from the bus, uh, and the um, and, and that might be put under the rubric of an economy of experiences, but it's really an economy of collecting ima these images of of oneself with the Washington Monument in the background or or the Grand Canyon in the background. It's, they're, they're really not experiencing anything. It's a it's a it's a pretense of an experience, and <clears throat> it's an experience that is entirely um, uh, it's it's entirely preordained uh, by the commercial apparatus um, that that once again is exploiting the original. A system of attractions uh, to its own end. That's that, that one of the reasons why big capital is so much in love with tourism, is because it doesn't have to manufacture the thing that is that is driving the economy. Uh, it doesn't have to build a White House to park a tour bus in front of it and get money off of it. Uh, Say so you. You don't need to paint another Mona Lisa in order to uh, double the the numbers of people going through the Louvre. Uh, the 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 stuff that is doing the all of the generating all of the money, uh, they're purely exploitative of what's already in existence. Uh, they do build theme parks and they do build these massive. Uh, uh, Tour ships, uh, and they're you know they're hugely expensive, uh, but uh, but for the most part they are coasting on the apparatus that has already been in the world for quite a long time. We keep talking about big capital, so we should probably face it head on. When you're talking about big capital, what specific I don't know corporations uh, institutions are you referring to? And when did you see big capitals start to creep into tourism and change the meaning of it as you first understood it? Yeah, I, I was actually, I started, I saw a big capital uh, beginning to eye tourism and get excited about it, uh, really even as I was writing The Tourist. Uh, and I think there's a, there's some passages in there about uh, how, I, I remember there was one day in which I found the world was booked solid. Uh, I, I was working with a travel agent who was a friend of mine at the time and, and asked him, you know, where, where I didn't really want to go anywhere, but where in the world could I go? Uh, and there, there was a day in the late 60s in which there was no place to go. Every place was booked solid. And, uh, and I, I took from that that, you know, given the fact that there's no major corporations that have their, you know, a, a grip on this, yeah, Disney had his parks already, but he hadn't really turned into a gigantic uh, tourism operation with tour with the cruise ships and 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 multiple parks and what have you. Uh, and I immediately said that this must be driving big capital crazy. Uh, that here's a phenomenon uh, which has got you know literally millions of people in motion and spending money uh, and there's no corporation that's got their got a hold on that um, and from that moment on uh, there was a rush to uh, uh, to get involved in you know the uh, uh, building resorts I call it the seven deadly sins type of tourism uh, did you see the uh, white lotus series uh, like that, uh, and uh, uh, and all of the money that can be made from you know gathering some uh, really really well-to-do people together and and uh, uh, keeping keep maintaining control over 
every detail of their life for a week or two. Uh, There's huge sums to be made from that. Uh, These ships now, they have over 7,000 passenger capacity. Uh, Sometimes they don't go anywhere. There's the phenomenon of the, uh, uh, you've probably heard of it, the cruise to nowhere. Uh, they don't even need to have a destination. They just need to be on the tour ship and, exp- uh, and experiencing its amenities. Or that's what the people have been told, and apparently they believe it. Uh, so uh, they, there's uh, now there's really heavy investment all over the world in in, in various schemes, and even things that are not ostensibly tourism like Airbnb uh, can be uh, uh, can always have one foot uh, in the uh, in the tourism industry uh, and they're aware of that um, when uh, when the type of technology that we're using right now got into the business world uh, the uh, the the uh, hotels industry, began to uh, worry and to realize that their major source of income, which was business meetings, uh, would disappear because people would use the Zoom and the Skype and the Chrome uh, to do their uh, uh, communicating uh, across, you know, over long distances instead of flying to a, an airport hotel. And, and, uh, and uh, when that happened, uh, uh, Hilton uh, uh, organized a, a study group uh, to do an analysis of all of the stuff that's in the tourists that I pinpointed as tourist attractions to locate those objects in all over the world and then to analyze the the proximity of Hilton hotels to clusters of those things so that they can move their investment into the hotels that would be continuously interesting to tourists and not to business travelers. To me, Airbnb represents a new expression of that search for authenticity that you outlined, a warped expression of that search for authenticity. The idea that, you know, you don't sit in a hotel, you're not marked out as a tourist. You go into either someone's home or a space that's been created and you live and you live backstage almost, but it's obviously not backstage. So to make that a question that you can actually address, how does something like Airbnb relate to the theory, Goffman's theory of the front and the backstage, how does it relate to this idea of authenticity within tourism? The the idea of Airbnb that you are actually getting in with the natives uh, somehow by living in the houses that they live in, which I'm, I always look at it from the perspective of the poor person whose house is being taken over uh, by the tourists. And I mean, that, that, that causes me a great deal of worry. You know who would who would possibly want to live like that, uh, and 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 then of course the answer to that is nobody, and that's and that's what you get in Airbnb. You get places that 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 are su- supposed to be like the places where people live, but they but they've already been made over into staged authenticity. Is what you get. You're you're not getting in with the natives. You're getting in with a uh, you know, a tableau that is supposed to be like what it might be like to get in with the natives, uh, and it's it, it's, uh, uh, it's it's staged authentic. Do you think the more, as you've outlined it, corporations have captured tourism, captured this search for communion with other societies, other people around the world? There has in parallel, been a more desperate search for that authenticity, for that communion that cannot be found because corporations already have got in there. They've, they've corrupted it. The thing that you can do that, that it is best suited to ruining any opportunity for you to have an authentic experience is to go in search of one. For me, one of the saddest manifestations of this thing that we're talking about 
uh, is the is the garbage heap uh, that that Everest has turned into. Uh, because as you know, as these uh, rich young executives, athletic young executives, um, uh, decide that the, you know the ultimately authentic experience would be to climb Mount Everest, uh, and they they go there and, and and they find teams of Sherpas that are uh, you know willing for a generous fee to carry them to the top. Uh, they have left behind literally tons and tons of garbage on the peak and dead bodies, uh, unfortunately. Uh, and, uh, and this is all in the service of having, you know, an ultimately authentic experience, uh, which, you know, once again, it has nothing to do with what it is. It's like now we have a favorite rock climbing uh, uh, spot in, in Yosemite Valley, uh, El Capitan and Half Dome, uh, and they used to be very um, challenging climbs that only the most skilled climbers could attempt. Now, now they've installed cables all the way to the top, and anybody can pull their way up those rocks. Uh, and and people still do, and they still fall off and die, uh, even even though there's a uh, you know, it's, it's practically a super highway now, uh, and 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 yes, everywhere you you everywhere we go, we can see people trying desperately to have something like uh, an authentic experience, uh, and and also you know failing desperately uh, in their efforts. But uh, an authentic experience is you know is available you know right around the corner from your house. Uh, you just don't have to be looking for it. Uh, and, 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 and then, you know, if you're ready for it, if you're, uh, you know, if you're open to it, uh, it will happen. When you wrote the book, you looked at work sites, you know, particularly did this analysis of the Paris Stock Exchange, the sewers, how they were increasingly presented as tourist destinations. Obviously, they had a particular significance in the 70s before neoliberalism fully wiped out industry as we know it. But what significance, do, do they still have the same significance now, these work sites in the tourist industry? To me, the most characteristic uh, uh, for our moment right now, uh, work display, in using the terms that I used then, uh, are the uh, industrial ruins as uh, tourist attractions. Uh, and the example that I would give is the city of Detroit. Uh, is uh, 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 People from all over the world go to Detroit now to look at the factories that are decommissioned and in ruin. Uh, they're considered to be photogenic. Uh, and uh, there are organized tours. It's it's like neoliberal capitalism can can figure out a way of making money off of total economic failure. Should we be understanding the relationship between the history of global travel pre-tourism? You know the the forms of exploring trade voyages, transatlantic slavery, trips of missionaries, colonialism. Is there links there with the modern form of tourism, which is for leisure? I believe so. Uh, if the uh, uh, it, it, there's a fundamentally human desire to know what's beyond the scope of your current perspectives and knowledge. Uh, in in the uh, in in my book, the ethics of sightseeing, I uh, go to uh, some. Uh, of the myths that Claude Lévi-Strauss uh, gathered up, or he didn't gather them, he ba basically gathered them secondarily from those who did, but uh, the myths uh, of uh, Native American groups, and, uh, and uh, looked through them, and I found numerous examples of just sheer tourism, 
uh, all the way back to when you know we were hunting and gathering uh, in uh, in in North Amer- in North and South America, uh, a, uh, a a hero of the myth. Uh, decides for no reason whatsoever that he's just going to go to the other side of the mountains uh, and see what's over there. And he comes back and he tells stories of amazing things that he saw. And then the children of the of the community decide they want to see them for themselves and they all go and they disappear and, you know, all sorts of things ensue. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a... Uh, this compulsion, this this you know, need to act on your curiosity about the unknown, uh, is apparently just in our uh, DNA, and uh, so I I I take that all the way back. Uh, now, uh, as as far as you know that. There's always an overlay, uh, and it can all you know every every human desire, every every human uh, motivation or curiosity can immediately get co-opted for purposes of exploitation or making money or getting some kind of power advantage. Uh, and so, yes, the age of exploration uh, took that impulse uh, and uh, basically monetized it. Uh, and, uh, and, 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 you know, there we are once again uh, in a moment that has some parallels to what's going on today, uh, where capital is trying to swallow uh, touristic curiosity whole. Uh, and... Uh, uh, you know, who knows what the outcome will be? Uh, but you know, I'm I'm betting on some human holdouts anyway uh, to be able to ride ride the storm and and uh, and keep a certain amount of organic um, uh, purity going in, in in our tourist desires. Anti-tourism movements have started making an even louder case. So you've got examples of, say, European destinations that are imposing restrictions on tourists, anti-tourism protests in places like Mallorca. Um, what, what, what impulse is that coming out of? And what do you think it is a reaction to? The reason for anti-tourism is perfectly understandable. If, you know, if, if a, a a corporation is dumping uh, five thousand people on your beach uh, because their because their price is cheaper than the other company's price, uh, and the people that they, that they dumped on you really don't care where they are; they'd be just as happy to be dumped on somebody else. Uh, that it basically breaks the tourist compact. And that is the reason why you get anti-tourism in it. As far as I'm concerned, uh, that's one of the best things that's going on in the world today. Uh, you know, uh, basically uh, uh, tow the tour buses that are parked where they don't belong. Uh, you know, impose a tax. Uh, do whatever you need to do to uh, enforce the local littering laws or, or public decency laws. Uh, it's very easy to uh, to undo industrial scale tourism at the local level, and as far as I'm concerned, uh, that should be done. And don't let anybody wring their hands and say, "Oh, that'll ruin the economy." It won't. Uh, you still get tourists who want to be there, uh, and they're perfectly happy to pay for, you know, for whatever services. Uh, that you're offering while they're there, uh, you just don't need to have these, uh, you know, high-rise uh, hotels that are in, in uh, you know, rate contests with each other uh, for the cheapest stays that you can possibly uh, get. Uh, it's um, uh, it, it's a good thing, and the let 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 it happen. 
uh, it's not going to discourage somebody who honestly would like to visit that place. Um, we keep talking about this figure of the organic and ethical tourist. What does that look like in an age of climate change? Uh, well, you do. There are, uh, of course, problems, uh, and uh, uh, one of the things that can be done, or one of the ways of responding. Uh, would be to spend more time closer to home. Uh, everybody is located uh, at or near important uh, attractions, and uh, <clears throat> they, uh, that that can be done. To be uh, also, uh, if you are going to travel, to stay out of the apparatus of the massification of of tourism. Uh, you know, to book your own. Uh, travel, book your own lodging, book your own eating, uh, and try to use the local uh, as much as possible, not stay out of the chains. Uh, and uh, uh, basically, uh, uh, go with a purpose uh, instead of, you know, just checking off uh uh, destinations on your bucket list or your death wish, whatever it is, uh, the uh, uh, you know that to me is uh, is is a, a horrendously unethical activity. Uh, you know, you should have a good reason to go, other than the fact that uh, you have a list that you're checking off. Uh, tell me why. And, uh, and and then tell me how it changed you when you get back, uh, and then then I'll listen. Has tourism's role in the formation of that self and placing ourselves in this wider understanding of where we fit has that changed? Do you think since you wrote the book? Well, certainly the internationalization of many things uh, has changed. Uh, uh, you know, we in the in the United States, the 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 cuisine that's available, you know, uh, through restaurants and even available in the in the stores, uh, is so much more uh, uh, international today than it was at the time. Uh, the uh, the you know I I would say I I wouldn't even attribute all of this to tourism. Uh, I would say that just the uh, uh, the <clears throat> the movements of people, uh, tourist and non-tourist movements of people, uh, have have actually made the whole world much more interesting and actually better place to live. Of course, it's occasioning its uh, backlash uh, on the part of people who would love to think that life would be better if they only were living around people exactly like themselves, which strikes me as being idiocy, uh, uh, you know, of, of the first water. This, uh, the, uh, you know, how boring can you get? What did you make of tourists who remain in disaster zones at the moment? You know. Places like Hawaii, while the wildfires were burning, roads in Greece. Yeah, there, there's absolutely nothing new about that. Uh, that uh, uh, that places of conflict, uh, after the conflicts that happened, uh, battlefields, uh, war monuments, uh, places of disaster uh, during and after the disaster have always attracted. Uh, tourists and uh, you know a kind of tourist, an old kind of tourist. And here in the USA, we call it an ambulance chaser. Uh, you know, any time an ambulance would go by with its siren on, some people in their cars would follow it to wherever it was going, just to see what. Uh, so, uh, I did argue in the tourists that the that the that the symbolic registers. Uh, of of the whole panoply of things that tourists, you know, that fascinate tourists, range from the egregious, the most horrible things uh, that humanity is capable of, uh, all the way to its its miracles and its blessings and everything in between. 
and so uh, we, we, you know, we t- we take uh, those those attractions along with the rest. And finally, if someone is listening to this and they recognize themselves perhaps in the figure of the passive tourist who has been swept up by big capital, what steps would they take to become this organic tourist that you speak of? I don't like to tell people what to do. Uh, That's not in my nature. Uh, But uh, uh, basically, uh, you would start out, I would start out by saying, don't believe the hype. Uh, and uh, uh, if you want to uh, sort of disentangle yourself from the uh, commercial, try to utilize the uh, uh, the services that the, that the local people uh, use. Ride the buses with them, eat in the restaurants with them, uh, and you know even go to the museums with them. Uh, some of the most enjoyable times I've had in museums, like I was at the Museum of uh, the Revolution in Havana, uh, and my my day there was enormously enhanced by spending it with uh, school children, you know, Cuban school children's school trips to the same museum and listening to their teachers telling them about the exhibits. To the extent that you can appreciate it in much the same way that the people there are appreciating it uh, is, uh, is, is, a, is a good first step. Actually, I do have one more question, which is, what is your favorite tourist destination? Oh, my. Uh, that, that's, that's hard. Uh, I, don't, I don't so much do destinations as particular experiences, uh, like the one I just told you about. You know, it wasn't so much it was the it wasn't so much the Museum of the Revolution, it was the Museum of the Revolution with the school children in it, uh, is 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 what makes the difference for me, uh, and uh, uh, so I could go on and on uh, about about those things, but they would have very little to do uh, with the way that the destination appears when it's just in a list of destinations. Uh, it would have mainly to do with what happens when I'm there that I didn't necessarily expect to be happening uh, when I'm there. And, uh, you know, we'd have to have a, a long evening together <laughs> to, to, to uh, get into every one of those. Uh, uh, there, there have been many. Uh, but, but it would be like that. It's always the destination plus something that happens that you don't expect, but could only happen at that destination that makes the difference. Support independent journalism and set up a regular donation to Navara Media from just £1 a month. Head to navara.media forward slash support.